The FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, I've got no idea how this works, but you you do every week you tell me you're going to uh, socially distanced judo. How on earth does socially distanced judo work? When you're able to do it, of course, because I know during during lockdown you couldn't. So what happens is normally we would have about 35 people on the judo mat Mm. um, and now we are limited to five, including the coach. What what happens to the other 30 that want to turn up? No, no, no. So it has to be pre-booked. And uh, on Wednesday night, we had four of us, including the coach. And you do exercise, you know, you do your kind of warm ups and everything, stay two meters away from each other. You take all the temperature and you sign all of the forms and all that palaver, you know, usual stuff that people ignore these days. And then um, and then on the mat, when you get to when we get to do some kind of technique and stuff, we use we tie four judo belts together. Right. So they're our tether points, so we can pull. We Hang can, on a minute. Have you, have you touched each other's belts, though? Whoa. They're not our belts. They're oh. just standard belts. Okay. Um, COVID-free you know, belts. So we, COVID-free belts. So we tie four belts together. So, and then you have – it's a little bit like – have you ever done those exercises at the gym when you get the ropes and you, you, you kind of hurl them up and down in the air? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, that's how the belts are. And then so the one guy at one end, or girl um, – uh, it is is kind of the what we call the uki, which is um, the the partner, and then so he'll be he'll be pulling, he'll be holding things back while you put your moves into the other end of the rope, which is about three meters away. Um, it's a load of shit, frankly. I just <laughs> uh, just want to fight. Just want to fight. The Fuji cast. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I wondered where it was going. Uh, when, when do you think you'll be able to just throw somebody across the room again, Kev? Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna. Just, it might be this afternoon. I'm just gonna go outside and find someone on the street. <laughs> Kev. Oh dear. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, the other way around, actually. Uh, welcome to the Fuji Cast. Socially distanced. Kev is still in Bunker Malmesbury. Um, do you think one day we'll we'll ever get to see each other again? Oh God! Yeah, because we're going back into a lockdown after after Christmas, aren't we? Apparently, it's it's. Um, oh yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. will. Yeah, uh, because everybody's just going to be be completely stupid over Christmas. Yeah, well, not everybody, but a lot of people <laughs> will. Yes. Yeah. Well, welcome to the FujiCast. You and your questions from our electronic mailbag, and of course, also through the FujiCast private Facebook group that Kev looks after on the show. Cheery Kev. Hey, cheery, cheery Kev. Cheery Kev. Yeah, Cheery Kev looks after those from Facebook, and I look after the ones that you email into click at fujicast.co.uk. If you're not a Fujifilm shooter, do not worry. Uh, it's a big community. Whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. Thank you to our friends who've now supported us on Patreon, which for the price of a coffee keeps the show growing and most importantly going. Um, I always feel a bit odd saying that. That sounds a, a little bit... Med- it sounds a little bit weird. It does. Yeah. I might have to change that. Um, yeah. Kev's book of the week this week is what? My book of the week this week is called The Gamblers oh. by Martin Amis. Okay, well, no, I know of Martin Amis. There's a reason I have this book. Okay. Um... And uh, the interview today is Parker J. Fister. At last. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Parker. It it only took how long? (laughs) Uh, About two and a half years. Oh, dear. There were some some technical challenges with it, which wasn't Kev's fault. Um, It was all to do with um, uh, the the system that we record through. Some some gremlins got in there. The system we used to record. Yeah, we we don't use it anymore. That was the first and last time Kev used it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Parker J. Fister today. Looking forward to that. Um, I've, uh, in the house, by the way, um, 
I keep walking past this. I keep thinking it's a, it, thinking it's a Mullins kit. We got we've got um, um, a Mulling kit, which is uh, <laughs> for for mulled wine. But they've done it in sort of some fancy font. So every time I walk past it, it's become the joke in the house now. Have you got the Have you got the Kevin kit? Can we <laughs> Can we put the mulled wine on? It does look like I, I always think if I put this in, a Mullins is going to grow out the pan or something. Well, I mean, I am partly made of alcohol, so <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> right, who's going to go first, you or me? Uh, you go first. All go right. on. Okay, uh, one from Dennis Skyam. Good morning, gents. For the past many years, I've been participating in a somewhat fashionable annual photo contest. I guess they've gotten sick of me bombarding them with shots every year because for 2021, they've asked me to be part of the jury instead. But uh, I've never been part of a jury in a photo contest before. I don't know if you two have, but I'm wondering if you have any input. I feel out of my depth as the other four members of the jury have more styles on their shoulders, so to speak. I'm not quite sure how really to verbalise why a specific image appeals to me in effective ways. Uh, To be perfectly honest, I've always been a bit rubbish at doing critique. I'm fairly sure this be pretty isn't going to cut it. (laughs) Any tips on how to properly critique images so I can make a good case for why the images I pick deserve to win? If you have any hypnotic techniques to make sure my pick of the litter take home the grand prize, that'd be good too. From uh, Dennis Skyen. Well, you, uh, I haven't judged. Um, you have on a few occasions. I have, yeah. And I do a lot of critiques. I do a lot of, por- I don't like to call them critiques. I like to call them portfolio reviews. Um, yeah, and I saw that question come in, actually, and I thought it would be a good good one to answer. The, the thing you have to do, Dennis, is try and, you have to t- look at the image with two different, uh, two different heads, okay? I put two different heads on your shoulder. One is the technical head and one is the subjective head. And the technical head will be looking at things like light composition moment, those kind of things. If it has good light, good composition, good moment, it does not matter whether you like the content of the image or not. If it has those three things, then it's a good picture, regardless of what's in it. If you really want to check the composition and, and you know, it depends on how many, how many badges they've got on their shoulders compared to your <laughs> shoulders, then switch, turn the picture upside down and then you will immediately see whether the composition is good or bad. And then with your other head, put your subjectivity head on and uh, think whether you like it or not, whether it's a nice picture. And that's where the boundaries of the of the competition come into play is the judging. You should have somebody who's going to tell you about judging and and what your guidelines are. Is it a, is it a technical judging system or is it basically who likes it the best? Yeah. In which case, if you like it might far outweigh whether it's technically a good picture or not. So that's that's what I would find out first from the other judges. What's the what's the parameters? You know, what are you looking for? And uh, and if you once you all agree on that, then it should be pretty easy to to come to the same conclusions. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, and the same with critique. I, I've all, I I know that when we've done our stuff together, Kev, when we've done workshops, mm. and there's there's been a critique session at the end, and I've always. <laughs> shuffled uncomfortably in my seat at that point because i don't think it's my i mean i I have opinions of course i do but i've never really um image critiquing sessions have have always left me a little bit what the hell am i going to say here because for me it's all about what i feel about a picture that's about (laughs) it does it does it leave me with any um emotional connect yes or no yeah and that's fine and 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 that's why i suggested to dennis about finding out the the rules of the competition or what the judge is looking for because uh you know there is no way that you know when i talk to people about 
composition and about the technicalities of a picture there's no way that i can look at my own website and think that every all of those pictures like a vast majority of them do not conform to those standards they just don't because i like my pictures to be based on emotion and that means that the moment is the number one priority in most cases so yeah absolutely but you can't you can't just blunder into this kind of thing and without some kind of guidelines and i think that's why a lot of a lot of these competitions get it wrong, you know, and I, I've I've seen it. I've, I've been in rooms where you have five judges. They're all esteemed judges and things like that, you know. Um, yeah, they've got their qualifications in 1925 and stuff, so they've got a lot of history behind them. Yeah. But they, you know, you have one judge who's basically deciding he doesn't like it because it's better than his work. You've got another judge that doesn't like it because he doesn't like the content of the image. Another judge is saying it's brilliant. I don't like the content, but it's brilliant lighting, brilliant composition. And another judge doesn't like it just because they don't like the person who took the photo. And then the other judge does love it because he's mentoring the person who took the picture, even though the picture might be rubbish. <laughs> uh, so all of those people need to be on the same hymn sheet, basically. And that's why I suggest you speak to the speak to the, the judging panel first and just understand what the parameters are. And, and then you can go in and, and be honest about it all. Uh, but yeah, ideally, all of you will just say, it's got to be about the moment. The moment is what counts. And then, of course, you've got to identify whether it's a natural moment or a stage moment, in which case, how do you define a moment? Is it candid? Can't be candid if anything's been affected, you see, because candid is an adjective, and an adjective is a very strong word. Oh, man. Right. Yes. Kev, your, <laughs> your, your question. Uh, can't we talk more about judging? Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get so much for that. <laughs> right, I've got one. I'm going randomly up in, up the list. I love the Facebook. I love the way that you people are um, uh, putting the questions in the Facebook page. That's perfect. really helps us out. So I'm randomly going down because there's loads in there. I'm going to stop on this one from uh, Neil Parry. And, oh, it looks like it's been answered, actually. Neil Parry says, will Fuji take on Sony in the full-frame market? If not, why not? Dun, dun, dun. Well, the answer's uh, always no to this one, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, I did think I'm. I'm just. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm just reading them through the answers. And Andreas, uh, and obviously Andreas, God of Fujifilm UK, yeah. has has replied, and and uh, we might as well just read it. It says, Neil, this has been answered by senior management in Japan. Every time they're interviewed, the answer is no. Yeah. And he why goes is on to why say, is the answer no? He goes on to say, judging by how some other brands are selling, who are doing uh, you know three three different lens mounts, right. it's probably a wise decision. Yeah. So that, that's that's the answer i would say i mean if you if you do look at other brands that are trying to support three different lens mounts which ones are doing well sony are doing amazingly well they're supporting one or two i suppose um you, you know nikon there's only a couple of brands and i'm not going to kind of throw them out of the, the the window but there's only a couple of brands that are supporting three lens mounts and not none of them that i can think of are are the first camera brand you would go and buy something from right now Right. Um, so that that's probably the answer. APS Fujifilm are doing a flying with APS-C, absolutely flying. And yes, I mean Sony are uh, you know taking up the full frame mantle, and you know they're they're now in that bum fight with um, Canon and Nikon. Um, of course, there's other APS-C stuff going on with Fujifilm as well. But then Fujifilm, of, of course, got the medium format. Um, and you know what? I'm just going to call it medium format. I don't care how many of you email me and write on my YouTube and stuff. It's a medium format. It's a 65 by 4, blah, 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 2 times 6, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Welcome don't to care. Kevin's counselling session. Uh, 
which which so I'm, I'm calling it medium fullback because <laughs> I want to call it medium fullback. You even have though, that. Yeah, that's fine. Even though Future Film have stopped calling it medium fullback okay, themselves. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so they got yeah. that that end of the market summed up as well. And, and things, I mean, I'm really excited by by Fujifilm and that that medium format marketplace because you know they. If you think what happened when the X Pro One came along, the X One Hundred, the original one, it was amazing. A little bit slow, a little bit you know rough, rough around the edges. And look what happened. In te- can you imagine? Can you imagine? Blind me. If, oh, well, it's it's not even what you know. I just can you imagine what they're going to do with that marketplace, yeah. that sensor, yeah. in five six years' time? I know it's going to be absolutely incredible. And you know, if you if you read the twenty two immutable laws of marketing, you will know that it's better to be first than it is to be better. I feel like we should say amen at the end of all your answers. <laughs> <laughs> my sister, my sister should say that to me because she's older than me. It's better to be first than it is to be better. It's a good phrase. Um, (laughs) Johan Borhead has written in. um, Hiya, lads. Yada, yada, yada. A couple of things that come to mind since Fuji has, Fujifilm has such a heritage when it comes to film. Did um, either of you shoot analogue before? Have you maybe tried it out after digital came to market, as I have in brackets? So there's a couple of questions here. Oh, actually, no. If so, what what cameras and what type of film was your favourite? And there is a wish list one, which we'll come to in a moment. Well, you, you, um, I mean, I have shot film, but not. I've shot with a, a Nikon F5, which I still have, um, and I shoot every now and then with it, and, and really enjoy it. It's a brick of a camera. I really like the feel of that camera. It's not. There's nothing small or subtle about it at all. And uh, I've used it professionally as well. Right at the start of the uh, my wedding career, I used to do a little bit of film and um, digital mixed uh, mixed in. And it wasn't on the website as a kind of like, oh, come and do this because it, um, it was all hipster and trendy. It was just because I liked doing it that way. The black and whites came from the film camera and the colour came from... Um, I, had a, I was in the Nikon... Um, ecosystem entirely at that point with a with a d100 so uh, the color came from that so yeah i liked it and i still have it and i still use it now and then did you kev no have you ever been tempted no why uh not good enough oh wouldn't have a clue i wouldn't have a clue i've got film cameras i've got some really nice ones that i bought in japan from a flea market some really old um minolta and Mamiya rangefinders, and they oh. work. I know they work because I've I've put some film through them, and yeah. it's come out black. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> I just wouldn't. Uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, yes, the romantic part of me would like to to have time, and I would actually. You know what? If I was doing that, I would only want to do it if I could develop myself. That that interests me. The developing. But do you that's mean the print, happen. printing as well or, or just yeah, film? Yeah, printing, developing, yeah. printing. Yeah. Um, I've actually I've got a, a really really high-end scanner on the way which will scan 35 mil and stuff um and that's for some image restoration stuff i'm doing for people but um scanning you know obviously send it off get get the the films and scan them perhaps but i quite like the idea of printing as well and you know we've got our bathroom because we live in a cottage that's about a billion years old um, was an afterthought it was never really meant to be there so it's it's a little space on the middle floor and it hasn't got any windows. No, Kev, no, is the answer. Yeah. I can almost hear Gemma right now saying no. She wouldn't mind. No, Gemma, what do you think of him having a dark room in the bathroom? No, I know. That's exactly. I completely concur. It'd be smelly. <laughs> um, smellier than it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. But, yeah, I would never get away with it. I would be like, you know, don't bang, bang. Daddy, I need a wee. I know. Bang, bang. Yeah. I need to do my teeth. Yeah. Dad. 
Dad, the timer's on. No, but why don't you go the halfway route and get get yourself? Um, I, I've got some um, Patterson tanks. I must get them down. Actually, haven't used them for ages. They'll be they'll be in the attic in the loft. Um, but uh, you could do it. You could do it via that. Get get yourself some developing tanks. Uh, you'll le- need to learn how to roll your film onto the the reels. Um, dev the film, put it into the scanner, and then you got you got best of both worlds. Yeah, I, well, I don't just don't know how to do it. I need somebody to show me. <clears throat> it didn't take long. <clears throat> <laughs> I'll show you. Yeah, well, is that a hint? I'll show you how to to, to dev your film. Yeah, no, no worries at all. I really want for, you know future film. film. They've got that the house of photography, and they've got that lovely training area and yeah, stuff. Yeah. If they if any of them are listening, <clears throat> I reckon a great workshop would be <laughs> film, film photography film and developing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know they, I know for a fact they've got staff that that, that have that knowledge. I know for a fact. Yeah. And, and of course, Fujifilm do still sell film and stuff. Mm. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Well, I'm I'd just be looking signing at, up for that. I'm looking across. Here, I've got my. Uh, I've got a Zenit as well, which I really. That was my first camera. My first SLR that was bought for me was the the Russian block. That is. Um, have you got a Zenit? Hang on, I'm just gonna. I've got. Hang on, hang on. I've got. I've got a Canon AE one. Right. I'd say. Nice. Uh, Practica something or other. Right. Pentax a size something or other. So the long and short is, Kev, you've got more film cameras and digital cameras. I've got a box brony. Right. <laughs> and I've got, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And this is my favourite one. What's that? The Mamiya. Oh. However, the Mamiya, so this Mamiya, I sent it off to Sarah up at um, Canberra on Cameras in North Wales, and she has a museum of film of cameras it's 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 phenomenal what she doesn't know about cameras is is not worth knowing right. uh however she didn't know what this camera was so, so it's not worth knowing kind of rare it yeah. doesn't have it just says mamiya and then it's got a serial number right. and it looks very similar to some of the stuff on the mamiya museum on right. the on the internet but nothing is there's no um yeah there's it's right. i couldn't find the exact camera mm. it could be a spy camera <laughs> who knows well, I think that's a good idea, by the way, with that, that thing uh, up at the House of Photography. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it'd be a nice idea. Yeah. Uh, and last one from Johan was, uh, what's on your wish list for Fuji's next film simulation? Rumours say it's coming. Yeah, I saw the rumours, actually, last week. They started saying that there's a new film simulation coming. Yeah. I don't know, really. I mean, the thing is, they have to... They've got to be careful because they can't... The reason why they couldn't call classic chrome Kodachrome was because of copyright and trademark reasons and things like that. Oh, and actually, it doesn't really look much that much like Kodachrome. But I would say Kodak, a, a, a real Kodachrome emulation would be really hard to do. Um, but, yeah, colour-wise, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Whatever they'd call it. Um, I'd quite like some more black and whites. Yep. They can get rid of sepia. They should just delete that. I've bit. No, get I've, rid of sepia. Have you ever used... Make space you, for some more. Have you ever, ever used that button, that, that, that selection? Sepia, yeah, ever, no, ever, and all, but the thing is, they actually don't need it now because you've got on the more, on the more recent cameras, you have the um, monochrome uh, warming and cooling, yeah, so yeah, you can totally. actually warm it up enough to make sepia. So they can delete sepia, and then they can have two new um, film simulations. Yeah. That'd be cool. Do you want to say amen at the end of that one as well? <laughs> I can just see the the <laughs> king of sepia in in Tokyo. It, yeah. They're all they all have one person is in charge of every bit. Yeah. I am in charge of sepia. Yeah, King of Sepia won't be happy. He'll be right up to the, the board level on that one. 
It'll be if saying, we shall consider. Well, it'll be saying, Kevin Mullins, we shall consider. <laughs> right, I think we've got time for, for another one. Um, yours from the Facebook group. Okay, this is a bit of a fun one as we're getting towards Christmas. Daddy or chips? <laughs> well, not, our house chips wins. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think Chips would win for Rosa. Daddy might just push it for Arby, oh. but only because I buy him his Xbox vouchers. Yeah. We had a discussion at the breakfast table this morning, which was, which parent do you go to for um, for X? So, in other words, if they want something on the Xbox, who do they go to? Me. Uh, because mummy will say no immediately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially with Christmas just around the corner. If you want a lift from school, who, who, do, you, who, do, you, who do you go to? Me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else is mummy. Do you know what Albie's been doing recently? He's been watching Jack's. What's that game they play with the cars in the in the, with the big football? Rocket League. So Jack. Rocket. Or oh, it might be Thomas. I can't remember which no, one. But I think Jack, it's probably it's Jack. Jack who's got the real Rocket League obsession. <laughs> he's he records some of him his things. He and does, so Albie yeah. watches yeah. all of his things on YouTube. Like, no, not on you. I think you can watch them back on Xbox. I don't right, really okay. understand it. Right. But he's watching them all, and and he's like, look at this, Dad. Look what Jack's doing. I know, I like, know. Albie, don't become me. I spend my entire life going, look at this, Jim. Look what Neil's doing. <laughs> oh, you don't say that. <laughs> but I, I have to say um, that, uh, Jack, we, we do attempt to... Have you tried playing Rocket League of late with Albs? Uh, he's a lot better than me. Yeah, yeah. but uh, does he... I mean, how charitable is he towards you as he plays? Uh, he's not too bad we've got to we, we got to a stage you see where we just can't re- really play on the same team it's alright if I'm on the other team and getting pummeled if I'm on his team every goal that goes in is my, is my mistake um, why weren't you there I've told you I, I, I teach you every day I teach you why aren't you training during the day you don't do anything during the day I'm at school you can have loads of time so you'd be better when I get back from school so well there are other things going on in my life Jack apart from Rocket League yeah yeah. yeah. who was that from I don't think you said who that was from by the way Leslie Burdett Leslie Burdett right yeah. I, you like those kind of questions I like those questions yeah. especially at Christmas time well that was so short and sweet um, <laughs> there's time for more Okay, so this is from uh, Carlos uh, Lacruz. What a cool name, Carlos Lacruz. Which might be the current most recommended way of digitizing old color and black and white negatives? Oh, no. Positives, slides in bracket, and printed small black and white copies. This is right over to you because you're doing loads of stuff with this at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, except for very expensive lab technologies, drum or top-tier flatbed scanners, uh, the in-house home improvised devices might be a reliable solution, blah, get a raw image, etc. Okay, so, yeah, the, the the crux of the question is digitising old necks uh, and slides. Yeah, I mean, he kind of mentions uh, high-end flatbed scanners, um, and that's that's basically what I've, I've plopped for. Um, mine hasn't arrived yet, but it's, you know, is best part of about six seven hundred quid so it's quite expensive um but you know it's it's there is a need for it and and however saying that it depends what you want to do it with do for it i mean if it's just for archiving you know and you're going to keep your scans and your negatives then you don't need a high-end scanner really i've got a a canon you know what they call it like a a multi-purpose scanner and it, it will scan up to 600 dpi which is reasonable, uh, and that that can that printer is thirty nine quid. I bought it in W H Smith across the road, so that's okay for you know for a kind of 
backup stuff. But if you want proper, proper high end and you're talking, you know, 1200 DPI plus 6000 DPI in some cases, then, yeah, you're going to have to go go high end pricing, I'm afraid. Yeah. I can't think of any other way. I mean, some people have gone down the route of, uh, of photographing. So things like the GFX, you know, 100 would be good for this, but you need to get the lighting perfect. And then you can photograph it and then, you know, you've got a very high res picture, but then you have to buy a GFX 100, which is not cheap in the first place. Uh, you know, or you could do it with a normal digital camera, I suppose. You can, the resolution will be high enough, but it seems like a right mm. hassle, doesn't it? Lighting, s- s- making everything still, you know, all that stuff. I just get a scanner. Big business yeah. in it, though. There is. It's interesting because I, I, I put some stuff on Facebook about colorizing old pictures and all of a sudden, I don't know how, but some people in Malmesbury must have picked up on it. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, can you do it for us? You know, and, and they're, and they're going to pay for it as well. So I'm like, well, I'd kind of like the same to this. But, you know, what what some of them were doing were using the, the free, there's a lot of free websites and free apps you can just colorize pictures with. And they're pretty good. I mean, they, they do a very good job, but they have no idea about what the colors were. So they make a best guess. Um, so, you know, what you what you want is for somebody to say, oh, yeah, my grandmother used to always wear that blue coat and stuff, and then you know it's blue and yeah. you can go from there. Mm. I do believe you're pivoting, Kev. Do you know you're pivoting? You're pivoting. I'm doing a lot of pivoting. Yeah. Doing websites and all sorts now. I know. I had a great pivot one the other day. I was talking to a guest for... Um, uh, for photography daily and uh, and the the guy who was speaking to me who's um uh, an la celeb photographer uh, was saying that uh, he does a lot of have you ever heard of self-taping self-tapes mm-hmm. i should i'm not sure i should admit to it <laughs> no, it's not that self-tapes are, are really for actors where they record their auditions and of course at the moment they still need to do auditions and they still need to get their, their face out there uh, to uh, casting directors so they've been making these they so they do a bit of shakespeare or what, whatever they do um and they do it to camera but they've been doing it on um mobile phones which is okay but it's a bit sound wise it's usually a bit it's all right, but it's it's you know if you if you're a casting director and you're looking at fifty or sixty of these a day, um, if if you get a really nice piece of film that comes to you that's well lit, uh, the sound has been uh, correctly recorded, then it stands out a mile, and that's what he's been doing during during lockdown, so helping people do their self tapes. They come over, the socially distant self taping goes on, and and I I thought well that's quite interesting. There's not a lot of that in this country. There we go top pivoting tip yeah and now everybody knows what we're doing they're all going to nick our ideas well you're still going to do it do you know what's that thing when you when you teach people stuff and only five percent will ever think about it but only two percent will actually go and do it yeah true some sort of figure uh, prove me wrong uh right interview time parker j fister you're a bit of a fan of his aren't you really uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I am. I absolutely love his work. It's it's beautiful, um, as you'll find out in the interview. Yeah. So yeah, it was a well. So there's no reference to there's current no, situations, of course, because <laughs> it was because, before that. Yeah. Well, how, how do you know of him then? When when did you first um, find his oh, work? We've we've you know we've communicated online several times way before this interview and everything. And uh, yeah, I I just loved his work. Always have yeah. done. Like right at the beginning, I loved his wedding work, and then his fine art stuff is it's just sublime, absolutely sublime. And he's a he's a top notch guy as well. Well, here's the next in the series then of when Kevin met um, <laughs> when when Kevin met Parker. 
like to welcome Parker Fister to the show today, who is a photographer from the United States. And I guess he's kind of like this double-headed giant. He's got all of this wonderful wedding work, but also, as we'll talk about later, this incredible body of fine art photography too. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. Now, legend has it that you were given a silver medal at the 1982 World Fair by Kodak. Is that right? Legend has it. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that actually happened. I was 11 years old, and uh, <laughs> I had won my county fair, and then I won the state fair, and then it went to the world fair, and I actually took home second place with a silver medallion and a letter from Eastman Kodak. Okay, so clearly you were using a camera way before the age of 11. What's your what's your background? What's the story with you and photography? Yeah, I've uh, I've had a camera in my hand quite an awful long time. Uh, so probably three or four years before that. Um, I was given a camera to, to play with and the play became very serious to me. I, I was really into it. My dad was, um, a scientist. He was actually a fish doctor and ichthyologist. And we grew up, uh, kind of in the country on a lake and, um, we had a dark room. My dad was a, was an amateur photographer and he taught me everything about the dark room. You know, before that we were doing cibachromes and just crazy stuff when we were, we were, uh, I was young and, and, um, it just became that, that was kind of my thing. So I went on to do it for, uh, for my high school yearbook and, uh, so when I was 15, I actually shot my very first wedding and I was taking, all the high school senior portraits of all the beautiful senior ladies when I was a freshman in high school, which was pretty amazing. So yeah, and then it just kind of went from there. And I've just been pushing on and I've taken, you know, a break or two here and there, but it's, uh, it's always been a part of me one way or another. In most all genres, I did some newspaper work for a while. And, you know, just I've done a little bit of everything. Now, for those of you that are listening to this in front of a computer or on your phone, I want you to go straight away to parkerpfister.com website and you'll see the first image that's on the screen there. It's an incredible image and to me it looks almost like the Virgin Mary. It has this amazing three-dimensional look to it. I have a very large 32-inch monitor and when I look at that picture, it just explodes off the screen. The photography is beautiful. The editing is beautiful. It's really quite mesmerizing. What's the story behind that image, Parker? Uh, it's um, I, I operate off feeling. Uh, almost all of my photography is not not really a, a knowing, but a feeling. It, it's something I just have to make, and I don't need to know why. Um, but it aligns with. I, I know if if I make it for me, there's a need for it in the world because there are other people like me that understand it and, and maybe don't necessarily get the image, but they want to know more about it, which in turn, they learn more about themselves. And that's really what I want to do with my work. And that's, that's what it's for. It's for me. Initially, I've, I've always said that I create everything for myself. I am selfish that way, but I'm also probably the most sharing individual there is. And I love to, uh, I love to share and, and that image is is just that. It is this open heart. It is almost the Virgin Mary. That that was kind of the thought when I was creating the image of this beautiful light of a of a person, of a human, and having that just just reaching out and the three dimensionality. You know, the way I lit it is all kind of a a, a nod to that, I suppose. 
Um, and that was all I actually made. Uh, I made that image a way long time ago, but I, I think I did a, uh, either a Facebook live or a, a video and posted it of the making of that. And, you know, all those light rays and the smoke and everything are there. The, the set was created out of a big, um, card or, um, styrofoam board with all the flowers placed in there with a hole cut behind her with strobes and gels and light. And that's all very real. The only post-processing I did to it was the solarization, which because I shot it in digital, which if I shoot film, I do a lot of solarizing in the darkroom. Well, I can't really do that to digital. So I just kind of mimic that whole look of the the blacks being almost chrome. And, and that really gives that three-dimensional look. Now, my understanding is, Parker, that you are or have perhaps left weddings behind and are concentrating more on the fine art portrait side of your work. Can you see yourself ever shooting weddings again? Or is that it? Perhaps maybe if the right one came along, you know, one off wasn't necessarily a financial thing, but just something you, you really found interest in. Would you do it? Uh, I can't even believe I'm going to say this on here. Dang it. <laughs> but I have been coerced into shooting one more um, coming up in June, actually. Uh, so it'll be a year separated. And I was, it, it was, <laughs> it's just one of these things where she is, she is also a photographer. She has dreamed of me shooting her wedding forever and she's finally getting married. And it was just not long after I put the thing out where I'm not shooting anymore. And she was just really crushed and she pestered me for weeks and I just didn't even respond. I'm just, terrible about that. I'm just like, oh God, I can't do it. I can't. But she has given me complete freedom. Um, I don't have any back end stuff. I just, just hand over. I can shoot film. I can shoot my eight by 10. I can shoot polar. I can do whatever I want. And I, I have agreed to it. So I, I guess, I guess if things come up and I feel like playing, I will. And that's what they are to me. And the business of weddings are what I can't stand anymore. That's, that's not, that's not play. And the business of weddings has changed so drastically in the last five years, 10 years, 15, 20, however long you want to count back. It's just, it's getting really, really hard to have any creativity and a creative license as as I have it anyway. When I look at any of your pictures, there's a, there's a real humanity. There's a, a passion, a real beautiful element to the images and and i feel that throughout all of your work whether it's the wedding work the fine art the portraiture whatever it doesn't really matter and i feel like you know when i started out some 13 years ago shooting weddings you know we all spend time looking at other people's work and wondering how they did it how they lit it etc but that's not really how we need to manifest our work is it and i think you all you've epitomized this you've basically picked up the artistic form and thought, actually, I'm going to do it my way. You know, whatever tool I'm using, I just have to create life in the image. I, I don't want it to be a single frame, even though it is a single frame. I want it to leave way more questions than answers. And that's that's kind of the, the key for me when I know I've hit it. You know, I'll, I'll look at the image and be like, OK, there's a whole lot of questions there. I didn't answer anything. That to me is an ex a success. You know, I, I'm sure this conversation is, is, is going to turn to, you know, I, I, my digital rig as I'm shooting now and finding out it's just too refined. 
and it's too slick and polished and perfect. And I absolutely hate it. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I often have conversations with other photographers and even with Fujifilm as in my role as an ambassador. And I think we all know that cameras these days are, they are clinical. They're very good. They're, they're, they're incredibly good at what they do. But sometimes you just need to do something else. And it would be a really boring world if we were all the same. And I often say to people that it's what we see in the viewfinder is what counts. Uh, you know, if we all made exactly the same pictures, it would be terrible. Yes, it is. I mean, it's it's um, it's a chain, I think, we just get chained up with. And it, it um, it's a constraint. It's like the perfect constraint. It's like we, we have to, because if we go outside of these lines, we're not going to be accepted by the wedding planner, by the moms, by the, you know, whoever you want to be accepted by. And I think people are just, I don't know, for the most part, not scared to be themselves, but maybe they, they don't even know how to be themselves or what they want to say. And, you know, that's what we get into with, with my teaching that I've done over the years is, is you know, more important than the technology and the technical end of the exposure and the lenses and the, the ISO or the ASA um, is like, what do you want to say? And people just look at me like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, well, what do you want to say with yeah. this photograph? Well, I want, to, I want to make it look cool, but why? And, you know, we just dig and dig and dig until we get to this place of, of something personal coming out of them. And it's like, now we're on to something. You have something to say. You have something that can change the world or change someone's world. And that's what photography is about. This is a gift we give people. And it's not a slick, yeah. pretty image. I don't want that. Yuck. So you mentioned that, you know, photography is personal and, and it's a gift. And of course, it's a gift from you to your clients. But I suppose... And I think you've already mentioned this and alluded to it, that ultimately it's most important for you that the image is a gift to yourself. And I think that's that's really important. I don't think I'll be speaking out of terms. I might be totally wrong. Correct me if I am. But I would guess that the fine artwork that you are concentrating on more these days probably doesn't pay the bills quite as much as the weddings did. Not at all. It's It's been a major shift in the way, like I live a very artistic life within my photography and I have now I have to learn and I am learning and I'm doing quite well at it as living an artistic life, period. And that means shifting everything into wants and needs and desires and figuring out what do I really want? What do I really need? And what do I desire? And those all come from, you know, different places, the head, the heart, and the gut. And and it's like a lot of wants that I have, I don't really need. And, and really living that life of, you know, what I want is my images to scream to me, to be a recording of my life, of other people's life, to be um, a piece of history. And, you know, getting into and now making the shift I would love to to make portraits of kids, and I think that's where I'm going. All large and medium format um, portraits of kids, and that's I think what I want to do. And this is just a couple of days old, but um, that's my jam. Yeah, you're dead right. I can see everybody now driving down the the wet and windy British roads, listening to this, thinking, you know, he's right. Parker's right. Do I need this camera? Do I need this new light? 
can I create? Can I really create? And that's the important thing. You know, when you talk about this this idea of flipping to a, you know this artistic life, I have this uh, this vision of you in some kind of uh, log cabin in in North Carolina. It's North Carolina, right? North Carolina. I have a, a Sprinter van that I've turned into my home that I I travel everywhere in. I also have a home, but you know that Sprinter van is is kind of. You know, when I do my workshops, I drive. If it if it's in the in the North America, I drive to it, no matter what, and I create stories yeah. along the way. And that's where all this imagery comes from. And it's like doing the work. Ah, sounds amazing. When I grow up, I want to be Parker Fister. So do I. Now I followed your work for a long time, Parker, and I love it. And one of the things that I really adore is this idea of the long-term projects that you have. And one of them, the one that I keep coming back to, is the one called the Gemini Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Something to do with your birth sign, I believe. All those images that you see uh, were all created in a seven-hour window wow. with my 8x10 shooting directly onto paper negatives, one-offs, and I get to make one frame, and I get about two minutes with strangers. And so my studio is in a very uh, prominent area downtown, um, and I just on my birthday, I always give back to the public. I've done this for nine years. And I open the doors to the public and I'll just pull people in. It's like, Hey, I'd love to make your portrait. Um, and you know, it's evolved over the years into writing in a journal and, and all sorts of things. But the Gemini project was something I was doing because it was my birthday. I didn't exactly know what I was doing. One year I did all Polaroids. One year I did a bunch of tin types. Uh, one year I shot a Hasselblad and it's, it, it's all like a, a process to kind of show the people what it could be about, you know, and, and it's not about looking on the back of the camera and looking pretty. It's like looking who you are. Um, and this particular year, um, wow. Yeah, that was a, it was a, a very amazing year. I, I was losing a dear friend to pancreatic cancer, which he's photographed in there. And I did this whole project and I wasn't quite sure why I was doing it other than it was my birthday. So I made all these portraits of everyone and his wife came in the next morning. So I have to make as many, I have to make as many images as I am old in years. So that particular year I think was 49 and or 48. So I had to make 48 portraits of strangers in about a seven hour window. And so I would pull people in, I make these images, I had made them all. Um, uh, my friend had come in um, being very, very sick and he still made the trip in cause he just never missed one. And, and uh, so he came in, got photographed the next morning, his wife, who was also my studio mate, she's an amazing dressmaker. Um, she came in and, you know, I, and w while I was in the dark room, um, she popped in and she saw the images there and she was like, Oh my God. And she saw her husband. And I was like, you know, for the first year, I didn't get to make a portrait of you. I'm like, all right, we're going to have 52 then. And so I think I cut somebody and actually kept her 48. Sorry. <laughs> and so I think I cut somebody to put her in. So the image I wanted to make of her was, I, I still had this set, which is just a white wall and my lights, but you know, it's kind of a, a thing. I just had her hold the the paper negative of her husband so when i photographed it that negative became a positive 
And she was telling me about the, you know, she, she wasn't being strong. She wasn't carrying um, the positivity that she needed through these, these rough times. She felt weak. And I just saw her holding this negative energy. And that in turn led me to put all these color, these squares of negatives on all the images. So if you look through that whole um, project, you'll see the, you know, pieces missing. Their parts are negative. And that's the negativity we all carry around for something. And what is that? It's, you know, I'm just begging the question. I'm, I don't have an answer. And it's, it really is just an idea that, that was spur of the moment, which most of my stuff is. I'll, I'll be doing a project and not really sure why I'm doing it yet, but I know it's going to rear its head. I know it's going to happen. And that's a trust and a knowing in ourselves that, and a curiosity, which I'm all about. And it's a really touching story. And I love the way that you've used that positive and negative element of things. Okay, so moving on. If I was to say to you, Parker, your house, it's burning down. Hope it's not, of course. But if it was, one piece of equipment you would grab and run away with. What's that one piece of equipment? One piece of equipment? My Deerdorf 8x10 with the Voigtlander lens. Like the, the site you're on, I would say probably 70% of that is made with 8x10 Deerdorf. Yeah. Like a lot of the projects are so like once I get on a project, it's, it's um, uh, I'll, I'll use just one, one type of process throughout. That's just to keep it very, very uh, cohesive. Yeah. Cohesive. That, that is the right word. I think that explains your work very well. Okay. So are you still in the, the digital circus at all? Any mirrorless, any DSLR stuff going on in your life? Yeah. I really ran with the mirrorless um, craze back in 2010, I think, uh, 2000, maybe 11. Not sure. My, my first, uh, my first camera was the X100. And then mm-hmm. I got the Sony NEX7. And for a while, I shot them at the same uh, same time. And then Fuji just kind of won out. And I started uh, doing a lot of XE1, XT1. I never had an X-Pro series. And I, I used to make all the lenses for them. I'd take old 16-millimeter film uh, movie film camera lenses and adapt them. This is, you know, way back then. And that was my thing. And at that time, they didn't make adapters. I had them all milled and <laughs> done here. But to give something look, something of the look that I'm looking for, um, you know, that Fuji sensor really had it for me. And then I switched over to, to Sony for a little bit. And man, just precise, amazing. But I found myself like going outside of their lens brand to get something with a little more character. Cause I didn't feel they had really that much character, um, which the one you, you um, talked about at the beginning, that opening image, that's, that was made on, on one of those kind of rigs. Um, but mm. then I, I left the Sony altogether after shooting a GFX system. And that was as close to film as, and that's my whole barometer on all this. Like I want to get back to more organic feeling and not, um, not, uh, not as a square, if you will. But now having the GFX system, it's too good. It's uh, everything I get back. I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's damn near perfect. I hate it. What, what do I do to screw it up? So, you know, I'm making lenses for it too, but 
I see myself shooting more and more and more and more film again. And really this GFX is just sitting here and I'm literally on the fence in the last couple of days just to, to completely go a hundred percent back to film or 95% back to film. And if I get another camera, it's probably back to an XE one where you could do the multiple exposures in it and it still keeps them in raw. I remember that, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But then again, I always shot JPEG in the Fuji cameras and hated the RAWs because it's like, ah, it looks great straight out of the camera. That's what I want. So it makes me crazy. And that's why I have no hair. <laughs> yeah, it's that organic thing, isn't it? You know, I still have the original X100 too. And, and I love that. I think it's it's really weird. We, we live in this kind of paradoxical world when it comes to digital photography you know we buy the latest and the greatest and they're great and they're latest and then you know we spend kind of two hours trying to edit those images to look like film and i include myself in that you know i i i, I say to my clients your images will look filmic and really deep down my inner chimp is saying just shoot it on bloody film but of course i can't i don't have that capability or that knowledge <laughs> So what's next, Parker? I notice you've got a workshop coming up in Morocco. I think. Yeah, I got a, I've got a workshop in Morocco uh, in September. Um, before that, uh, we have a workshop in South Dakota in May. And there's one seat that was filled, but one seat just popped open. Um, and then before that, at the end of March, we're in Oregon, great rainy state of Oregon. Um which I used to live there for quite a long time. And I just, I can't wait to get back there. And uh, yeah, that one's at the end of March and, and I think it's about half full now. So yeah, teaching is, is something that, you know, I've done for years and years and I still absolutely love it. It's really shifting people's perspective of what photography can be is, is what, you know, they come for a photography workshop and most of them leave, and they're like, I can't even, this is beyond photography. It's, it's therapy for myself and the understanding of my inner artist, which is kind of the whole idea. Like the week long workshops, like the one in Morocco, the first two days, you're not allowed to even touch a camera. It's not about the camera because my belief is that camera and that technology gets in the way of you being an artist. And that's, that's, or at least a photographer and maybe the photographer gets in the way of you being an artist. And I think that's kind of how the chain goes down. Yeah. It seems to me that your, your workshops, if you'd like to call them that, are, are more like retreats, I suppose. I think people will get a lot more from that kind of thing than uh, just turning up to a workshop and, you know, somebody tells them what settings to stick their camera on, sticks a model in front of them. And then what you have to do effectively is press the button. This is far more than that and far more important. And, and that's what, that's usually what happens. You know, if, if somebody slides through the application process and, and they're wondering like, you know, Hey, how do I do this shot? And it's like, well, why do you want to do that shot? That's how it started. And it, you know, they're thrown off by it. It's like, no, I just want to know what, you know, how did you like this? Like, well, I lit it with intention because this is what I wanted to say. No, no, no. I mean, what were your settings? Like the right ones. These are the ones to, to make my voice heard and to raise the question that you're, you're asking. That's the point. And it's not about settings. It's like, what do you want to say? And just really giving everyone, by the time I beat them all week, they have a creative license. They have a license. They have a hall pass, if you will, to go out and actually be creative for their own voice. And that's the whole idea behind these workshops. Because 
especially today, we are so inundated with with imagery. You can get it anywhere, Facebook, Tumblr, uh, Instagram, yada, yada, yada. And we're just we're constantly looking through everyone else's images, not to feel them, but to get ideas. And it's like the ideas need to come from deep within you. And those are the ones that are authentic. We're teaching authenticity. And I call all that stuff peripheral pollution. It's like, put your blinders on. Don't look at other people's work. That's the worst thing you can do when you reach a certain point. And I think that's the key. It's like there is a point in a photographer's world where you look and you you try to emulate and you learn from that. But you have to know when to let it go. And the thing today, it's hard to freaking let that go because it's seen everywhere. And you want to be cool and get the most likes. And that's not what photography should be about. Our thanks to the true talent who's Parker J. Fister. And of course, there'll be links on the show notes on fujicast.co.uk to his site and Instagram. Uh, when you've finished here today, and if you just can't bear to wait another week till Kevin and I return, go to your podcast app and type in the search bar Photography Daily. Monday through Friday, I talk, minus my buddy for sure, but joined by a plethora of talented photographers. Today, I'm chatting with David Fettes, who, aged 50, said, you know what, I've had enough of this corporate thing. Uh, I'm going to be a wildlife photographer, just like that. He also set himself the target to, to win a major wildlife of the year competition, which he did, and travel all over the world making pictures of the stuff you only usually see in documentaries when it's properly roaming around in the wild which he does. He's the only guest I know as well who'll be able to to save your life if uh, ever you find yourself being charged by a wild cat or six tons of elephant, and he shares exactly uh, how to do so. Tuesday, there's a shorter snapshot edition, and I speak with Owen Humphreys, who had the uh, the honour and very nerve-wracking privilege to be one of two photojournalists allowed to shoot the more recent royal wedding from the organ loft. Um, how he made the pictures. Wednesday, YouTuber Jamie Winter, whose philosophical approach to making films about why we photograph are a complete work of art. And we talk about becoming a good photographer from a, a listener's photo essay on Thursday and the photo walk is on Friday. That is Photography Daily, which is on all your favourite podcast apps or online at photographydaily.show. Right, back to the questions. Kev's chomping at the bit. Uh, go on, Kev, your, your turn. Okay, so another one from the Facebook list of love is... List <laughs> <Lists> of love? <laughs> I'm going to go to... I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Who's going to get my pointy eyebrows on them right now? It is going to be Nick Brown. Right, Nick Brown says, As a newcomer to Future Film, I've been a bit baffled by the seven presets offered in the queue menu on my XT30. I know how to use them, but I'm struggling to understand why I need seven. I've ended up with one for completely manual, so everything is fixed, ISO, dynamic range, etc. The rest just have the same settings, but with different film simulations. I'm a hobby photographer, so maybe I'm missing something crucial in the way that these settings are expected to be used. Any guidance would be welcome. There you go. What do you think? Well, I shoot primarily raw, so it's never really occurred to me to, to use it, Kev. I kind of have my cameras set up in one way and use them in and just just alter on the fly what I need. Well, the thing is, if most people who are... Uh, if you shoot raw, you'll never use the custom settings. Simple as that. You, you have no real need for them. No. If you shoot raw plus JPEG, then you do. Or if you shoot just JPEG, then you do also. So uh, the custom settings, why there's seven? I don't know. There used to be three, which was not enough. Then there was five, and now there's seven. Mm. 
So you've got options. So I have mine set up. I have seven different custom settings set up based on my um, the profiles that I've randomly named, like Parb, Mayowitz, Padilla, MI, um, you know, all the stuff off off my custom JPEG settings. That's where your YouTube film came in, isn't it, really? There's a YouTube film, but also on F16, yeah. So you can just dial those in if you wish. Um, And and it's just just gives you different options, different looks and feels. Some people will use it for um, if they want to control ISO, if they want to shoot auto ISO, but they want to make the ISO, you know, top top out at a certain level, perhaps, then they can use it that way also. But generally, it's it's for the way that the images look and your look and feel. So I like to I like to sometimes shoot Albie when he's doing his little football games. I quite like to shoot that in very retro looking black and white. Yeah. Um, you know, so and then I can just flip to the color. Um, have you got all your ca- have you got all your cameras set up in in a similar way? Whether it's an XT three or an X one hundred or yeah, well, mostly the ones that I know where they are right yeah. now. I've got a wedding tomorrow. I need to I need to find my cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the first time? First time? Uh, no, it's not the first time you shot a wedding since lockdown. That's not. No, I did one during the yeah. during the second lockdown. Yeah, yeah, during yeah, the yeah. second mid lockdown. So you because this goes out on Monday. So you'd have done yours Saturday, oh, yeah. and I'd have yeah. done mine yesterday. Yeah. Um, although I still, I still have got just got a meeting. I mean, we're recording this Friday afternoon. Let's just let some showbiz stuff out there. Um, and I have still still to talk to the client. It's like this just weirdest experience shooting weddings during COVID. It's because there's no meetings beforehand. There's a kind of like, can you do it? Great, you're booked. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I, I haven't met my clients either. I've spoke to them on the phone. Um, but my my one is is an hour and a half long. Mm. Bless them. You know, they've gone from a massive 200 person wedding that I wasn't shooting, but obviously was cancelled, and then now they're down to 13 people. Wow hour and a half and it, it was going to be a little bit longer but the hotel i believe have said that they they can't because there's more than six of them they can't serve them alcohol or food because they're in london yeah so so they have to basically have the ceremony they're going to stand outside for no so uh, i don't know what you're going to do for five hours I, well yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, well, this is one of the questions I'd like to ask. Are we going on a tour, a walking tour? I'm going to take my hiking boots, I think. I think we're going to be doing an awful lot of walking. Um, this will be an interesting uh, debrief next week on the show, won't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I hope I find my cameras by then. Yeah. Well, uh, do you need a 35 mil? I've got one in here that uh, I can let you have. You know, I was also looking for... Oh, it doesn't matter. What anyway, one? What? No, I have it. got People your... People are bored of it. <laughs> no, no, I've got your... I do have your... Um, what's this one I've got? This is the macro, isn't it? It's the. Uh, You've got my sixty mil. I know that, but I've now lost my twenty-three mil. No, definitely not me, because I've got a twenty-three mil. My twenty-three mil F two is no, gone. Well, I never had an F two twenty-three mil. I've always had the one four. So that's gone as well, is it? Yeah. There is a place where all these things go. It's Love like your house. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like in our house, there's uh, there's a lot of missing stuff. Uh, across the the last um, few years, ten years, maybe these things go missing. For example, the uh, um, the the keys for a car that has long gone now that I had before before the current Kia. Um, the keys just one day went, and they've never we've never found them. We will find all this stuff, and they're they yeah we just lose stuff in the house. Yeah, I how, think that's, that's the house swallows it. Same as us kids. It's kids' age, isn't it? You know, things just get put down and then moved, and then boom. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, well, if anyway, they were a bit right. younger, I'd, I'd, I'd accuse them of having stuffed it in the DVD machine, but that, that's not the case. Ryan Katsanis says, Hello, tea drinkers. Thank you, as always, for the high-quality podcast. Um, as a full-time photographer, when we finally come out of this thing, lockdowns are over, people being around people is perfectly OK, yada, 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 how will you go from near zero to book me now, oh, please, hire me? I made the mistake of dropping essentially all marketing efforts for most of the year, so in many ways I feel like I'm starting over. Similarly, I'm thinking about some parts of my business. I am equal parts champing at the bit to work and unsure where to start when we're back to business as usual. Your plans, your thoughts, your opinions are always appreciated. I, I will say, actually, I think a lot of photographers have become very institutionalised, um, that they've uh, spent a lot of time not shooting, not being out, uh, being behind a desk, trying to think of things and ways to pivot, and, and now finding it intensely uncomfortable getting out there. I think that's. I think. I think that's. I, I've read an awful lot of people saying, "I oh, just. I don't know if I can do it." Isn't that? And it's, and it's not taken long. It's taken six to nine months for most people to get to that stage. Well, you know, interestingly, there was a huge. We're gonna. I'm gonna kind of pivot a little bit from the conversation here. Okay. There was a big Google update uh, started on the fourth of December. Usually takes about a week to to kind of roll out. And Google, they do big updates every now and again. But essentially, the, the, the people that have analyzed this, this, um, this result have, have basically come to the conclusion, because Google don't tell you what they've done. They just say, yeah, there's a big thing happening. Uh, have come to the conclusion that the people who have, uh, have, have actually maintained their website and, and not necessarily added content to it, but have chosen to tighten it up, fix a few bits and pieces, streamline it, add some um, schema markup, that kind of stuff. They're the ones that have, have flown with it. Yeah. Um, and the people that have kind of sat back and not done anything at all are the ones that have really been negatively impacted by this update. Yeah. So I noticed when I had my my um, stats yesterday from um, the, the software that I use to analyze my rankings, I, my site has gone up like yesterday massively in various different search terms, massively. Um, but I haven't really put anything on there. You know, it, it went down massively after the um, conversion to um, Squarespace initially, which always you, happens, yeah, and it went back yeah, up again. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I'm, we're still not getting inquiries, of course, because who in their right mind would be would be thinking, oh, yeah, we, we've got a vaccine now. Yeah, yeah, let's let's plan to spend 25 grand on a wedding next year. It's not going to happen until until, you know, there is a proper that's the end. You know, it's it's gone. And, uh, you know, and I, mean, it, I don't think it will ever go away completely. But, you know, it's it's when we're back to normal in our humanity and and the, you know the way we interact with people, I think that's when weddings will get back to normal. I don't think it will be sadly for a couple of years. Oh, well, really I don't. do not share your pessimism on that one at all, in mm. no way, shape, or form, because I don't think the world will live it for two more years. Um, I just don't see it. I can't. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, nobody. I don't think anybody in their right mind is going to to spend to you know spend 25 grand on a wedding when there's so much uncertainty mm. you know the economy yes and and I, I you know I do agree that the 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 governments will you know will do their best and encourage us to get back to normal when it's safe as soon as possible but while there's still this this you know kind of anticipation of doubt which there will be for a long time you know because it's just you know, even the governments have said that, you know, the vaccine is, is stage one. You know, it's not going to be, 
you know, we're not all going to queue up on a Monday morning and then it's going to go away on Tuesday. It's, no, it's you know, it's not going to happen. And so whilst I do agree and hope, you know, like you, that we, we get back to normal as soon as possible, I just don't know how many people are going to go, yeah, let's, let's risk 25 grand wedding, you know. And I think yeah. that's why I think it will be a couple of years before weddings are back to normal. I think life as we know it will probably be back to normal before then, but I think people will will wait a lot longer before they start spending that kind of money well, i think people will will do smaller weddings yes of course i, I yeah. agree i agree with yeah. that if that's that's what you mean yes i agree with that i don't think weddings will stop and i think at some stage people will say look i, I, I just want to do it i want to i want to crack on like i want to do portraits like i want to get back to the commercial work that i need yeah. um i need i need i just i need to do it i, I want to no do i agree it. totally and and the people who want to get married for the right reasons because they love each other will always get married um yeah. but, but there's a lot of people who get married they love each other of course but they also want to have a massive party yeah and they're the ones that are likely to spend the money on uh you know on photography and stuff you know let's face it i mean y- y- could you survive the wedding you did yesterday what would have been yesterday yeah. <laughs> could you survive on two of them a month um no not really no no, I'd have exactly. to do. I'd have to do more than two. That that's for sure. But but um, it does say to me that that uh, these smaller weddings will be out there. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I've, not, I've not gone out and earned nothing from it. No, I haven't actually. I've no, no, no. Of course, but you can't. There's no way I could survive on small no, weddings. No. There's no way. I'd have to shoot about thirty a month. <laughs> yeah. Stand by, Kev. <laughs> the wedding roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before we go back to the question, though, I will say, in, in some respects, for those that, and, and I'll include myself in this because I, I've worked so hard on other stuff that I've been wanting to do, and I've I've achieved a, a good few things, I think, during this period, um, emotionally and and uh, fiscally as well, here and there. I uh, I think the good news is for somebody thinking, oh, Kev's right, I've done absolutely nothing on my website. You've st- I think you've still got three or four months to really yeah. make a difference to your website. And and if if there is a new year thing that you should be doing, I think Kev would certainly be saying you should do it. I know I will be doing it. Yeah, totally agree. Still um, time. Still time. Uh, business, though. Um, Ryan said he made the mistake of dropping essentially all marketing efforts. You kind of covered that with the website, really. I mean, get mm-hmm. get busy with the website is one thing you, you can be doing. But he's a bit confused of, of where to start when, when we all get back to business as usual i suppose we all are a well bit. don't wait until then that's the problem if everybody yeah. waited until the government said yeah. it's back to normal then it'll be way too late you'll yeah. be gone your, your business will be dead you've work, got to get on with it working on the website work working <laughs> yeah. on instagram working on improving your skills working on learning about video maybe and all those other things that go with it you thought oh we'll do that one day now is that day is that is that mm-hmm. what you're saying isn't it kev yeah, I mean, I, I interestingly, I had an email the other day from somebody who, who was a real. Um, it was a it was a kind of a call for help, but also a I'm really angry with the whole situation email, okay. and uh, it was from a, a relatively, you know, a photographer I've known for quite a long time, and he said, I, I've don't I don't know what I can do. I'm going to have to get a job um, in uh, in a supermarket or something. In fact, that's what I did, which is fine. You know, a lot of people have done that and everything. And, you know, and I, and I, I said to him, well, what, what did you do? You know, what have you done since February? Well, I don't know anything else. I can't, all I can do is photograph weddings. And I was like, well, that's not true. You know, you can, you, you've got a good eye. You could do things. You can offer things. You could, you could have done online training. You could have done, uh, you know, street portraits, you could, you know, and, and actually what he did was just sit and watch Netflix and feel sorry for himself. And, you know, and, and, and I said to him, well, you know, look at, look at people like 
like myself and Neil. And I'm not saying that we're God's greatest gift or anything, but you know, we've done things that have saved saved us saved our businesses you know you've done stuff with the audio i've done uh, presets and online training and things like that and 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 he said oh yeah but it's all right for you you've got all those followers and i was and i was just like you know what where did the followers come from you know hard work yeah yeah you know it's hard work if you put effort in, this is why sitting down and staring at netflix for nine months is going to get you in nowhere in life if you put some effort into stuff then you will survive. You will do things. You will get by, you know, but without putting effort in and just feeling sorry for yourself, you are going to end up pushing trolleys at Tesco. I, I, I have Amen. Well, no offence meant by uh, that to people that like to push trolleys around at Tesco. No, um, no, 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 of course, no. Who are, who are waiting in the wings to be the next um, uh, uh, great wedding photographers, maybe. Who knows? But I had almost the, exactly the same conversation with a, with a photographer, and I was listening to you very carefully thinking, was that the person I was talking to? Um, because it sounds a very similar story. I don't think it is because this person's actually gone off and, and spent their time uh, exercising and getting really fit. Great. That's a good thing. But, uh, but creatively, they feel absolutely sunk. Um, and the same conversation went along the lines of, well, it's okay because they, you've got that and that and that. And you can do this and this and this. I can't. Mm. Um, but there we go. Right, another. A- Do you want to say amen to that one as well? There's a lot of them today. Amen. Amen. Work hard. Yeah, work, work hard, you work horrible hard. git. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. You two can be as you two can be as moody and miserable as me and Neil. <laughs> it's Marley and Marley. Right, book. What have we got? Oh yes, the, oh. No, there was a reason for this one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I have today's book is by Martin Amis. Okay, and it's called The Gamblers. The Gamblers. No, this, The Gamblers, yeah. No, this is kind of available on Amazon, although it's one of those ones where you can't buy it direct. You have to buy it through a bookshop and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. However, Martin Amis, for those of you that don't know, is a UK... This isn't Martin Amis, the the film star. This is Martin Amis, the do- British documentary yes. photographer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now I didn't know this until I started like searching around for him. So he has a bookstore called photobookstore.co.uk. And this is not a sponsored post by any <laughs> shape or terms because I didn't even buy this book off his own website. Did you not? Um, but that's where I ended up. So photobookstore.co.uk. And I'm just looking at it now. Loads of really decent books on there. And, and it will help uh, Martin Amos as well, who's a very good photographer. But the book I have is called The Gamblers. It's a hardback one. I actually bought this off the Martin Parr Foundation website. Um, and the reason why I have it is because I did a, I did a, um, I paid for a portfolio review. Well, I don't know if you can call it a portfolio review or maybe a short critique with Martin Park a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And I showed him the pictures I took at Cheltenham races, and uh, you know, and it, and, the, and the critique was fine. It went pretty much as I expected. Uh, but one of the things he mentioned to me was, you know, have you got Martin Amos's book, The Gamblers? And I was like, no, I haven't. So off I went, trotted off to the. Uh, um, to the website, bought it. I've got myself a first edition signed, of course, because they're the ones that count. And uh, and I love it. I actually really love it. It's a cool little book, and um, it's it's basically he says that there's no writing in it really. Um, but if you read the, the the print on the website, it says that you know when he was a kid, his dad used to take him to all the race courses, and and he could smell the cigarette smoke and the alcohol, and he was only interested in the people and not the racing. Yeah. And and that's exactly the same reason as I go to 
to Cheltenham. I never go to watch the horses. I think it's a bit cruel, to be honest with you. But I go and watch the people, um, and I take pictures of them. and And I love this book. It's great. It's 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 exactly the kind of stuff that I I wish I had the capability of doing. It's brilliant. Well, um, some, it's just kind of random mismatched colors, yeah. black and white. You do right your, you do yourself down there because when I look at your Cheltenham pictures and I'm looking at Martin's um, uh, here, and um, look, I'm I'm not saying yours are exactly like Martin's or Martin's are exactly like yours, but but I, the the um, the emotion that you get out of your pictures at Cheltenham, I I always think, oh, that looks like a fun place to be, um, and the way you turn your camera on on those that are watching racing, you know, when I look at Martin's work, I'm almost thinking. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, and I, I, it's not that way around. Were you inspired by this work to do your work at Cheltenham? And I know it wasn't that way. No, because I didn't even know it existed. No, but I do love it. I love all of this stuff. Oh, it's yeah. and again, you're you're looking at pictures on the internet. I'm 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 looking at them in the book, and you know, it's another one of those books that I hate it when they do this, where it's a it's an A4 kind of vertical book, and that which means the pictures split across the spine in the middle. Uh, for the wide ones, I don't really like that. But the pictures themselves are are great. I love it. I'm looking at one now. <laughs> I don't know. This is pro. I would say this is probably 15 years ago or so. Um, you know, these old ladies with their their flowery dresses stood on benches, cigarettes in one hand. You know, a tote a tote betting slip in the other. And uh, you just think, you know, and then they're, they're in their lovely Sunday best dress, and you think, yeah. why? In what other way of life would you be comfortable standing on some on a bench and shouting into the air? <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's interesting that one of, one of the comments made here is that uh, by Martin was initially I took a fairly traditional documentary angle, but after spending some time shooting on the streets of New York, um, he, he started getting closer into the subjects and, and then began employing the use of a flash as well. It's interesting how you do other things and you think, well, how can I invest this back into to my other work? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, if you look at Martin Amos's website itself, it's mostly about this body of work. There is other work on that, but it's mostly about this body of work. Um, and it's lovely. I do like it. It smells lovely. Can you smell that book? Yeah, from here. Oh. Yeah. Lovely. I've just noticed on the back, on the inside cover, it says, first edition, including 50 copies only with a signed and limited print, which is, mine's got signed and limited print. There you go. Yeah, well. One of the thirty fifty. Are you likely to the week? Are you ever likely to release um, your own stuff from Cheltenham? Because you've got a fair amount of it now. You must have. Mm, I doubt it. Yeah. I mean no, I wouldn't have thought so. There's all kinds of conflictions that go on in my mind at that, you know, in terms of permissions stuff. Um you know, Martin Parr was saying on his webinar, or web banana as Arby calls them, are you on another web banana later, Dad? <laughs> um, <laughs> he says that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, things like that, he doesn't really get permission for or anything. I mean, if it's a commission for a business, then it's different, but other stuff, not necessarily. I don't know about the, the legalities of that in terms of, you know, so one year I, I I was there. I had my press pass with me. Another year I went without a press pass. I don't. I just don't know the complications of it. But and also I don't feel like the pictures are anywhere near good enough for that kind of stuff. I might. I would like to go mm. more often. Yeah. 
I can't, there won't be a um, uh, Cheltenham this year, obviously. They, they had one. They managed to squeeze one in March. That was a super spreader. 80, uh, what was it? 60,000 yeah, people every day for four days. Well, we, we were going to be going, weren't we? That um, <laughs> Three I, days I, before the lockdown. Yeah, yeah I, we I, were. I was My mate still went. Yeah, I didn't go. No, and I, I, I felt really bad because I, I was the first one to say, oh, I don't really want to go. Um, and mm. I, I felt really guilty. But then you, you didn't feel comfortable either, did you? No, um, I pulled out as well. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of them went. Yeah. None of them got ill. <laughs> no. That might have been that you, you missed your uh, award-winning photograph. Oh, Kev, you were so close. That was the yeah. one. Yeah. Story of my life. Anyway, Mike K, Mike Cossey, actually. Hi, guys. Love the show. Your guests are often inspiring. Uh, and listening to uh, your dulcet tones makes the work commute less painful. I'm hoping for a few suggestions. I've been asked to document my workplace to generate content for Instagram and presentations. It's fun and I enjoy the challenge and opportunity to learn, but I'm having trouble getting the co-workers to go along with having their pictures taken. We're all pretty comfortable with one another, but uh, getting them not to look at the camera or avoid shying away when it's pointed in their direction has been hard and it ruins the candid nature of the photographs. I've asked them to just pretend I'm not there been encouraging in, in regards to their appearance etc but no dice i use an xt3 with a few small primes so i'm not hauling around anything large any tips on blending into the background or getting people to do what you want well for a start you don't want them to do what you want <laughs> you want them to do what they want um and i i sometimes think kev it's an investment of of um of of time really because sooner or later they get used to your presence and it's like oh it's just Mike. Oh, here he is with his camera. I mean, they stop. I think if, if you stop, start any project and you expect everybody from uh, to be, you know, in on this game and, and just play play along with you in a documentary or reportage stance, then yeah. they won't. It's the same with a wedding. When you turn up at a wedding and you start shooting bridal preps in the morning, the first thing that goes on is, oh, it's got a camera. You just, you almost have to ride that wave for about 10, 15 minutes. Get there early, ride the wave, and then you're shooting. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. I, it's, difficult. it's more difficult nowadays, I think, because, you know, when we first started shooting weddings or, you know, when I, I started shooting weddings, mobile phones were a thing, but not, you know, the camera phone wasn't such a thing. Um, when you started shooting weddings, I don't even know if televisions were a thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> they, but things have changed, haven't they? Right. So, yeah, yeah. like now, everybody is conscious, and you know they all want to look, put their Instagram face on, and you know get their, their get the pout in right, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I think people are more uncomfortable with this idea of of natural photography in an enclosed situation, unless they've been well educated by the person who's organising it, for sure um but yeah i mean it's yeah you're right just turn up get them used to it and and the, you know what you the worst thing you can do if you really want to shoot candidly uh if you want to do it properly is to interact with people and by that i don't mean you know not saying hello or anything to them but by by saying oh if, if just look this way or you know give give us a little smile or all of that kind of stuff and, and a lot of people do that and then that will confuse their in the psychology of the people will be like well hang on does he want us to do this stuff or not yeah. if you want to and as i alluded to earlier candid is an adjective it's either candid or it's not there's you know that's it there's no there's no um candid gray line it's it that's it it's candid or it's not the moment that you interact and tell them to do something it's no longer candid that doesn't mean it you can't do it of course but if you want it to be purely candid then you've got to be careful with the way that you interact do you think you're a slight well maybe a huge disadvantage if you know the people 
I, I'm, I, the times that I've shot weddings for people I know, I found them a lot more difficult because people that oh hi how you doing you think no 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 just you know I, d- I don't want to interact with you it's much easier when when you don't know somebody yeah I I, I get that as well but I I also don't think you should you know I don't I don't I don't mean that people shouldn't be talking to each other and you know and, and you know if somebody comes up to me and says you know what camera are you using and all that kind of stuff well I'll, I'll chat with them and you know better weather you know all the kind of stuff I'll do that but what I mean is. Uh, you know, if you start telling them to how to behave in order to get the pictures, then that's different. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're if you're at a wedding where you know the people, then it, of course you're going to have completely different interactions. But actually, I find them a little bit easier, I have to say, because it's yeah. easier for me to just say to them, "Look, just get on, just be normal, just behave yourselves, just yeah. just be natural." Well, don't I think yourself. that's easier if you know them. Yeah, but if I was obviously due to photograph. Uh, a wedding um, in your family, which which uh, hasn't happened um, this year, but no. and I, I was I was thinking then I was thinking that's going to be strange actually photographing Kev at a wedding. I was uh, yeah. I'd gone through my mind a bit of how's that going to work or how's he going to feel. Anyway, we'll not know. <laughs> we don't. know. I was really looking forward to it. There we go. What saying? Oi, photographer, can I have the picture? <laughs> no, no, I was really looking forward to them spending some money on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and me i had a similar thought uh, yeah you, yeah a lot more money on you in fact <laughs> yeah, yeah they obviously like me more <laughs> right uh we have got time for one more go on kev drag, drag one out the facebook and let's uh let's make that the last this week okay this is from llewellyn annandale and he says neil specifically to you after oh. shooting 800 plus weddings do you ever find yourself getting bored with wedding photography do you find yourself becoming a bit complacent or do you try and find something new in every wedding well i think this year has been a break at the right time for me because I was beginning to uh, be reasonably tired with some of the the familiarisation I'd found with weddings. We've both talked about this, Kev, and my attitude has yeah. changed as the year has gone on, um, and I, I'm really looking forward to getting back and shooting some. I, I will never return to the, um, the amount of weddings that I used to shoot, um, partly because I don't think I've got the energy for it. And I don't think it's good. I don't think it was good for me. Um, mm. Doing different things, well, you're really led by what you're photographing. And I think that is actually what I've, what I've discovered is the, the greatest thing about photographing weddings. And I've, I've, I've discovered that uh, in a period where I've not been able to do it be- because it is so different. And it really is so different um, that there, there's genuinely a different challenge every single time you come. Um, sometimes you're going to feel like that was an award winner. Other times you're not. And and I think sometimes I'd put myself in a a bit of a bit of a tricky situation. I think over the last couple of years, Kev, where I was thinking, right, this is going to be an award-winning. Doesn't mean you make any less effort, but I think you have to appreciate that sometimes different events will make you feel very differently, either as the viewer mm-hmm. or the photographer. And I'd forgotten that very yeah. much. I'd no, I agree. That. I agree. I mean, you have shot a lot more weddings than me, but but yeah, I, I ditto is well, basically what I say it's to that. Over eight hundred. It was going to be coming up for nine hundred this year, actually. Um, <laughs> it's nowhere near that now, um, but but there we go. How do you feel about shooting weddings now? You come out of this. I, mean, I was I, I mentioned institutionalisation. Is that such a a word? I don't know. Um, and and I think a lot of us have been sat in our ivory palaces, um, and we've been we've been working on stuff. Me we, me with the sound and a bit of corporate. You you with uh, all the courses and your 
and the stuff that you've done with the presets. Um, but essentially, we've not travelled. No, and also we're not earning the same kind of money as we would if we, you know, if, if we were doing the weddings. But I don't know whether I, I don't know whether I was jaded by the weddings. I, I you know, I'm. I definitely feel like I wanted to do. I wanted my pictures to be a, a little bit different to what they were. And I couldn't quite figure out how to get that happening. Um, I think that was happening to me. But, but yeah, I have I have to say I've kind of missed just photograph. I don't. I said to Gemma the other day, I'm, I don't I don't class myself a photographer anymore. Is that I right? class myself as a wheeler dealer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. bit of ducking, bit of diving, yeah. bit of this, bit of that. Right, Rodney. Yeah, right, Rod. This time next year, mate. We'll be um, yeah, I. You know, and and and. I, I, I didn't have anything for my Cage Collective post this month. You know, it's it's been a real struggle. But yeah. Back in the books. Back in the back in the books. Yeah. Photographs. Yeah. I can find my cameras. <laughs> well, good luck finding that. We'll find out next week whether yeah. Kev found his cameras and whether my wedding actually happened at all. Yeah. I'm hoping it will. Try and be a bit more cheery next week. No, no, Kev. You, you, Kev is Kev. Uh, that that's the important thing thank you that's it for this week um if you've uh, liked the show please go and uh, mention it within a uh within a review that you can leave uh, they're always really really handy thank you very much for leaving the questions in the facebook group there is uh, there is still that opportunity to do so and we're going to carry on uh, pulling questions out of there i think i think this situation of you being in bunker malmesbury and me here is going to be like this for a little while yet so those facebook questions are really important but you should only leave them in one place kev is that right yes on the facebook group uh, just that, that there's a pin thread and it's, it's quite clear where you should leave them however do feel free to put questions elsewhere in the group if you want other people to answer them as well that's absolutely oh, yeah. fine yeah. but if you want your question read out on the website uh, not oh, if you want your question read out on the podcast that is the place right Parker J. Fister thank you very much at last we, we, we got Parker's interview on I'm so pleased oh did you notice by the way and I, I really did try and find it your Pete Reed interview that you did last week um it wasn't just one. There were a couple of people that said that was the best interview they'd ever heard. Um, and it, really? and it, yeah. And I, I wish I could find them because I wanted to embarrass you and read them out. Um, there was one in particular that was uh, that was really um, really glowing. Um, and I, I thought it was. I really, I really felt. I, I dropped. Um, in fact, I dropped Pete. I've never spoken to Pete. I dropped Peter a message on Instagram myself after that because I just wanted to say, look, I just heard the interview, and um, I'm, I'm, you know, really privileged to have you on the show, uh, and I'm really pleased that you and Kev spoke. So there we go. Yeah. Brownie points, Kev. Good, good, good. All round. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye-bye. The FujiCast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.